there will be no real non-controlled currency in the world. Bitcoin is punk rock. Deal with it. You split, we bankrupt you. Do you use lightning wallets to pay for things or not? No. Bitcoin Cash would be seen as more of a threat to the United States hegemony than Bitcoin. Miles Town, what's your favorite kind of money? Bitcoin Cash. Hello and welcome back to the Bitcoin Cash podcast following bitcoin cash on its rise to global reserve currency this is episode number 45 bitcoin 2022 the conference not the year but maybe we'll talk about the year too and the addictive cost of technology featuring duncan white today is saturday the 16th of april 2022 i'm jeremy jet is doing the producing and my guest is another Australian. We're having an Australian series, the Down Under special from the very Down Under from Tasmania in Australia. He's an IT uh, professional and I guess advocate for cryptocurrencies and their potential. Duncan, welcome to the show. How do you get into Bitcoin? Oh, thanks, mate. Um, look, it totally pre- pleasure to be on the podcast. Big fan. Um, you know, yeah, you're in the Telegram like, a lot, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's you know good, good chatting there and and learning. Um, yeah, look, uh, yeah, as you said, I'm in, in IT, um, so um, cryptocurrency wasn't a huge learning curve. I mean, for a few uh, weeks there, you know, I was staying up late at night um, trying to understand it. Um, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about my. The, my self-published essay later um that, that's really what led me to it um so that was uh i think 2019 right? is around about when i first um got into peace btc and that's sort of often people's first exposure to it hey um yeah so but yeah absolute pleasure to be here so um big fan and um you know i, I know you yourself you're in technology but um yeah, i really this... agree with you like we really needed uh something to sort of um in the you know pop pop culture just something fun really is needed isn't it yeah exactly things things have to be engaging and that's kind of one of the strangest parts about bitcoin is that it, it doesn't have a marketing department. It's, that's the point. It's decentralized. It is kind of an organic grassroots movement, but it's unlike a lot of other cultural trends or something where there is a very heavy direct economic uh, aspect to it, right? It's not like any other social cause or things that people are working on i mean there's always going to be some financial element right whoever is organizing a movement you know might get be getting donations or people are hosting events or some somebody is you know corporate sponsors are trying to kind of get involved in in different ways but bitcoin has a very strange duality where on one hand it it markets itself and i'm really interested that you said you spent you know, a couple of nights <laughs> staying up all night reading about it because that is a very, very common 
thing to have, very particularly from the earliest uh, adopters, usually had that uh, strongly as well. And the reason was because at that time there wasn't much about it. So if you started reading a little bit about it, there was not just pages and pages of uh, information or forums or places to go. You sort of could read the white paper and then you could read on Bitcoin talk and then you could read the uh, Bitcoin Reddit a little bit. And then it was kind of up to you. that. That was, that was kind of it. So you could actually absorb most of, the information that was currently known or available about cryptocurrencies but it's good to hear that even as time has gone on there's still people getting sucked into that rabbit hole and it truly is a very engaging thing i guess as a paradigm shift it's a it's a it's one that gets on people's mind once it, it takes a lot to get over that first jump or to be interested i guess especially if you're in it and stuff it's more your mind's already kind of working in that way. It sounds less weird or, or foreign, but once you, you sort of click on it a little bit, you start thinking about the technological aspects, there's the economic ramifications, then it sort of gets into politics, a bit into philosophy, a bit into mm. kind of futurism, right? Do you, is there any specific aspect you can think of that initially first captured your attention particularly? Oh, I remember quite clearly looking at the Coinbase listing and seeing Bitcoin Cash and, oh, why do they have to, what's this all about? This is so annoying. There's this, they're just confusing, they're muddling the water, waters, um, just making it confusing to pick different coins. They should all just pick BTC. That would be simple. And, I, you know, and then I, I did get BTC and sort of was just playing with it, using it. Um, there's nowhere here to to use it locally, any any crypto. Um, so, but but quickly, so I, I noticed these fees, and um, it was Roger Ver that actually on the Tom Woods podcast that originally. Uh, okay, that's what it's all about. Um, that led me down that's that right. path. So yeah, thanks, Roger. That was it was a great <laughs> presentation that on that podcast with Tom Woods. Yeah, it's one of those um, yeah. amazing exponential things where just the number of people that will credit him as this sort of source mm. of their Bitcoin knowledge and everything is staggering. He's probably the world leader in that. In that, If there was a high score of uh, everybody, how many people in the world would say this was the person yeah. who, who got me into it? I'm, I'm sure he's probably number one, probably for all of cryptocurrency. I don't know, maybe... Maybe Andreas Antonopoulos could be up there, and certainly, if certainly if you adjusted for the amount of people, if you had like a referral scheme type of vibe where everyone you introduced, if they then introduced someone, it kind of referred <laughs> back to you. You could you could trace this big uh, tree diagram back to Roger Ver of a lot of the even the other early Bitcoiners. They would also credit him uh, too as well. So yeah, he's just he's been crushing it for <laughs> and so and how much hate he gets for it as well you know he, yeah. does, he doesn't quit it's just it's amazing that he's st martin and st kitts recently the the um how they've been in the headlines and and you, you know you see him in the the video footage as well um he doesn't quit <laughs> it's amazing yeah, it is actually amazing and i personally i think there's almost a sort of fate 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 loves irony kind of component to it because 
he got the name Bitcoin Jesus in the early days, which he actually dislikes, which is probably also another thing that justifies the fact that he got that label. But he got that label and he didn't really like it. And then he later became crucified for his for his passion by the whole <laughs> the whole community and he got such a negative ref and everything. And it's just, yeah, he's truly he's truly unique in that regard because nobody else who was as prominent as early in the Bitcoin community stayed as as consistent with their ideals. That's essentially what it is. There's other people who could have been in a similar situation except for the fact that they tended to flake out a bit once the heat got turned up or they weren't as publicly known to begin with or you know they also didn't get specifically character assassinated in the way that in the way that he did everybody needs a sort of bad guy to hate on something right it needs to have a public face and it was just very unfortunate for him that he got the one that the sort of smear campaign decided, well, Roger Veer, this is the guy that we can, this is the guy that we can target. And yeah, I, I mean, he definitely has made a, a couple of mistakes. I saw somebody posted on Reddit a little while ago. There's a couple of things that I would say he, he kind of did wrong, but they're very minor. There's really only two, two things, which was he made a video at Mount Gox shortly before it collapsed and that was okay. always a little kind of not suspect, but it just at the time w- when it happened, because there was so much disaster around Mount Gox, the fact that he was involved and he made a video where he said, guys, I'm at the Mount Gox because he was living in Japan and he was known as well. Back then, reputation was also very, very hard to come by. I mean, it's probably still somewhat hard to come by and have credibility now but just by nature of the scene being bigger and around for longer there's there's more people who have been in the scene for five or ten years and you know that they're not just going to rug and disappear tomorrow most likely right but back then that was that was very very rare and so he was one of the few people who would have been in a position to do a video like that and he did do that video and then a couple months later it all it all collapsed after he'd said that they were they were solid so that was used yeah okay to sort of uh, attack him and i i don't know what was going on behind the scenes i don't think nobody really does and i think i've seen him say look uh, that wasn't the greatest video but <laughs> on the other hand you know, bygones are bygones and by this point it's definitely more than irrelevant and the other thing he did was he did an interview with um with some sort of BTC maxi type of guy at some point who managed to just wind him up. He's usually a very calm, very reasonable, very rational guy. But just on this one day out of the thousands of interviews he's done, he was having a bad day. And the guy just kept saying, oh, and Bcash this, Bcash that. And this was at the time when tensions were very, very high over this whole issue. And he just said to the guy about three or four times look can you not call it bcash it's called bitcoin cash please just show some respect for me as your interview guest and just call it bitcoin cash and the guy just kept he he knew that he had him right and he just kept pushing it and pushing and pushing and so eventually roger just gives him the finger and just logs off the call and that screenshot of that just has been reposted on twitter 
10 million times whenever <laughs> green cash is going down and people want to chat but those those two minor things for over a decade in cryptocurrency one of the sketchiest industries <laughs> it's actually amazing there is essentially no one who's been around as long as him who has a cleaner rap sheet so it's pretty uh pretty ridiculous in that regard that he's the one that all the hate falls onto but i don't know i guess that's just the way it goes and i love jet's recapture of that phrase that's awesome yeah be cash will be cash. cash exactly exactly we've got to fight fighting the narrative battle right so i think the linguistic linguistic trickery it's all about uh the public's perception you know i mean it did take me like you know four years to come up with it but <laughs> it's here now yeah, yeah well, you were still the first one to do it so it's and it's recorded forever on this show so there can be no doubt that whenever we have the linguistic anthropologists go back it has <laughs> caught on it has caught on i've seen it be used in a, a few places it really has did summarize it all effectively so uh, yeah good to see there okay all right on with the price enough uh enough chat we've had bch had had a good week crypto as a whole kind of was down every every week when i'm making the slides i always see what was the price a week ago or two weeks ago when i'm updating it and so we're actually down a bit about 30 dollars, i think but bch is basically up the rest of crypto crypto went down and then bch sort of rose rising through the crowd a little bit so it's back up to number 25 we've been in this range 28 to 24 for quite a long time now without seeming to really break out ahead of whatever chain link tron ftx uniswap these other ones that are kind of sitting at our market cap which is fine as far as i'm concerned because it's the community is definitely doing plenty of, of good stuff and I would only, I guess, would be really concerned if we were just rapidly dropping down past all these other uh, coins. But anyway, I had a good week and now is up to 119.05 BCH per BTC. So we're at those lows of 140 and now back up a little bit. So that's also good to see. How much do you follow the price? And does the volatility worry you? What's your sort of relation with that? Uh, I, I don't really... Um, look at my phone only like five to ten times per day or something like that, you know. Um, no, but uh, I, I, it is it's um it's it's great as a medium exchange. That's the important part. But price should, definitely would help. Um, I think, uh, yeah, no doubt about it. I, I I've been doing a bit of training with our local chamber of commerce and. Um, that's great, by the way. I think uh, I think probably more of us should should do that. They've been really supportive, um, but it just you know like it's a lot of it's a lot for a business to start using um, you know change to a different currency. Um, not that you change everything in the business, but um, there's you know it's concerning that there's risk there. Um, yeah, so it would be it would be good. It's an issue, but um, I think it's the the long game, isn't it? Like you, um, I sort of see it as inevitable. Like all the other coins are not very useful. You know, they don't um, have that social acceptance, and they're not they're not really trying. Like the communities aren't trying to um, 
to actually use it in commerce, to use it for um, trading real goods and services. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, but it is, it was an interesting week. Yeah, I mean, the narrative of, of different coins is also very interesting. And I think that's something that I encourage people who are newer to cryptocurrency, or even if you're not, it's honestly a good thing at any time, is to go dig around in some of the other crypto communities. Yeah. Find out what they're up to. Go look on their Reddit boards. Go listen to, I mean, not all of them, but some of the more major ones will have kind of community-driven podcasts similar to this uh some of the <laughs> some of them won't really which is kind of telling they just have a more corporate news out like the cardano Fa- foundation or the solana hype <laughs> marketing or whatever right so but that's another thing that you can learn right is which of these coins are sort of more community grassroots driven which ones are more corporatized which ones are doing different elements like to me it's always and forever will be cryptocurrency peer-to-peer electronic cash that was where it all started that's the whole that's the whole point basically but uh, other communities might not agree with that right they don't necessarily have a strong focus on people who've read the white paper maybe everyone's excited about monkey nfts for some reason or maybe everyone's excited about ftx token because they can speculate on that and it was great or whatever right and all these communities they all have their own different flavor that you can sort of pick up on if you just read a few of their reddit posts ask a few questions see kind of what the dialogue is and and what the community is focused on but one thing that becomes very obvious when you do that very quickly is how organic the bch community is even though it's quite small and also how unique it is in its like sort of not passion but it's dedication to to that concept the things haven't got kind of watered down with you know other sort of distractions it it is still like i want to be able to trade you this (laughs) for for something that's the whole that's the whole point right that's that's money. Do you have any other favorite coins? Maybe that's a question I should ask. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's probably worth mentioning Monero because, um, as you as you say, um, looking into communities, I think even just actually using them, like everyone has got a computer and a phone, and um, like Monero has been another one that I've been interested in, and I think it is good, right? Um, it's important. But um, just my testing, even on that, um, it's, you know, locks up your wallet. Uh, It's just not as fast and easy. So, you know, privacy is important. And, you know, I think probably as we move forward, uh, I mean, BCH has got a cash fusion, so that's great. But, um, you know, it hasn't, innovation hasn't stopped in that area. Um, But. Monero, in my experience, it's it's just not going to cut it for everyday normies like me, like to, to use. It has to be easier than, you know, FPOS and cash and that sort of thing where, um, yeah, yeah, I, I just couldn't see buying a coffee with Monero, you know. Yeah, it's and it's interesting that you you say that one because I would say it's again it's also it's almost like a 
because the communities do overlap because anybody can be in any community and anybody can change in or out of different communities. The coins do have sort of allies in a sense where the like the allies, if it was some video game or board game or something, the BCH allies would be um, would be Monero and Dash probably the communities with the most uh, overlap and then the, the enemies anti-aligned would be BTC and BSD <laughs> and maybe eCash and then there would be a lot of ones that are sort of neutral but there's a lot that are just kind of a bit negative by default because VCH has had so much slander against it and I guess a lot of people even if they don't particularly love Bitcoin BDC they still feel that that's the real one uh, and has the the clout and everything, and that BCH is just a bit of some annoying knockoff or something. So yeah, it's interesting that you say Monero. Uh, a lot of people in BCH like Monero. I think. Uh, I think it's. I don't. I think we've mentioned this before on the show, but I'm just looking at these numbers now, and I'm like, this should be mm, something more interesting to focus on. Our volume still puts us in fourth. Like, and it goes Tether, then BTC, then Ethereum, then Bitcoin Cash. And BTC is half that of Tether in terms of volume. And Ethereum is half that of BTC in terms of volume. And we're just shy of half that in terms of volume against Ethereum. And like, and then we also have, I don't know if you guys saw, there was a Reddit post that talked about essentially the prevalence of uh, cash fusion transactions. And it was something like 40% of all transactions in the past month have a parent element of one point that's a cash fusion transaction. Um, so I think like we've nailed peer-to-peer cash, right? <laughs> uh, well, and it's just an idea. Go on. Um, I don't think we can take away from that at this point, like unless, you know, there's a, a, a chain death spiral, which seems very unlikely. And so, like, if we say that it's a conclusion that we've nailed peer-to-peer cash, that narrative is, like, uh, flex tape sealed tight, <laughs> uh, what what other narratives can we build that we know we can like within the next five years nail out and bring new users in. Well, I guess I want to say as, as regards the, the volume part of it, it's slightly misleading. There's a little bit of an asterisk on that because it's something like 85 or maybe even 95% of the volume comes from CoinFlex If you have a look at it okay. and there's a lot of, there's a lot of debate about this because it's, some people kind of say yeah but they're sort of faking it and then some people say no then sort of not because the reason that they have such massive volume is a they're very friendly to the bch community so a lot of people go there for for bch or like i'd never heard of coinflex until i was reading up on bch oh coinflex great uh so they there's that aspect to it i mean they run the smart bch bridge at the moment there's a lot of uh, tie-ins mark land the ceo is very known and trusted in the community uh does a lot of great work but the reason is they have these amms these automated market makers where essentially you can make money by putting your coins on the exchange and they will sort of let you be the house in a certain sense where you can set your 
you can say, look, what's the price now? $340, right? You can say, I'm going to set between a trading range of 320 and 360. And then the coin, the coin flex will automatically have a bot basically that sells your coins when it hits 360 and rebuys at 320 and just sort of flicks them back and forth like that, which is great for coin flex because that increases the liquidity and the trading and the volume on their exchange. And it's great for you because you're essentially making part of the exchange fees that the, exchange gets plus you can also sort of slowly build up your stack by exploiting those small fluctuations in the market i don't know how that works if it goes way out of that band maybe at some point it just kind of kills it uh i've never used it myself but they have that uh inbuilt into their exchange and this is something that people can do on other exchanges but you have to code up your own bot and you have to be pretty involved whereas they've sort of democratized it a bit and just made it that anybody can can just use those those products with a couple of clicks, even if you have no idea what it is. You just know if I put my coins here and wait a little bit, I'll make a bit of extra money. That's that's literally all you need to know. And so that means that they're doing tons of volume on CoinFlex and therefore on because then those bots interact as well, right? Because somebody one of the bots is selling and another one is buying, so it gets even more uh, volume. And then that that just feeds into itself so sometimes when they they've taken coinflex on and off the volume listing on coin market gap and whenever they do we drop way down and then so yeah i don't think i don't think we necessarily have we're kind of a bit overrepresented on that on that stat but it is true that the community is punching above its weight in terms of the size of real people who are interested and excited about that coin i would say is CoinFlex unique in that it's making its exchange transactions on-chain? No, it's not making them. This is not on-chain. This is all on the the volume indicators on CoinMarketCap are aggregates from the exchange's internal bitch. data. Okay, well, I take back everything I said. I want on-chain <laughs> metrics only. <laughs> that's because that's why we look at the cent in USD, speaking of. Gotcha. Well, let's just go on. So next one is the transactions. So transactions have gone up a little bit this uh, week. They have been slowly growing. I just feel we've got a really nice uh, little bit going here where there was that huge run-up because of noise.cash spamming everyone. Well, not spamming, but basically spamming everyone and then they batched up all the transactions and then things settled down at a you know more 40k type of range which seemed to be about the real use once a noise cash transaction was happening once per day to people rather than 100 times per day to people and since then it's just been slowly building up and i almost feel like it's going to at some point it's going to just completely decouple from btc as well too you can see as the btc sort of rises and falls but much more jagged because it always happens on the uh on the weekdays nobody trades btc on the weekends apparently but bch is a bit more organic uh but it's there's going to be a certain point at which the community's growth engines and peer-to-peer network aspect just kicks off and we start just trading amongst ourselves or as we already are basically more and more and it just becomes irrelevant to what's happening in the rest of the crypto market whether the price is is pumping or not so it's really good i think to see it just slowly slowly creeping up there and it's believable organic growth too it's not just somebody has made a new app that's just spamming Mm. something over and over Mm. how often do you make uh bch transactions that might be a good 
a good question. Oh, yeah. Um, no, not very, not very frequent. Um, I suppose I just try to buy stuff online if it's uh, in BCH. Um, yeah. But no, not 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 very often. Cash fusion. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the noise dot cash was is interesting, isn't it? Like I, I think that really um, just the fact that they turned it off and started batching really to me proves that there is an incentive to take it off chain um you know like it we we, yeah we don't it's fine if people are willing to to pay those costs but i suppose that might be the the bitcoiners line btc to say it's just spam well here we've got a case where they deliberately didn't they started batching it because I assume because there was a cost there when you when you have that have that many transactions it would add up so there is an incentive there for developers to to not do that on chain to a point hey um, it's a pretty minor fee if you're buying a coffee but if it's you know if you're accumulating on noise dot cash um, in this in cents you know um, amounts in cents then um yeah it's only it's only it makes sense that they start batching it yeah, i also I think that the um uh, whenever i see this this comparison the like I, I don't know how many bitcoiners are looking at this because you can see the bottleneck right of yeah. btc like what are they what are they thinking like we even with lightning like you want to get the masses on lightning and right now it looks like it's at capacity before you're talking about mass adoption. So I don't understand how they haven't just thought those things through. <laughs> well, I'm good. So I want to yeah, talk about, I'll talk about these two points. So on the noise cash uh, point, I think the reason they did the batch transaction was partly because of the one cent fees. But I think the bigger problem that they ran into was that they were basically onboarding new users who would come in and they would get 10 one cent tips and then they would try and send it somewhere and they would discover that they had a two or a three cent fee and they would be really confused about that because it should be a low fee. But if you've got all your UTXOs, are all literally yeah, okay. just fractions of a cent or something like that, then it just turned into a big problem with people being confused. But if you just change that where they now just get credited right. and they get paid out when they got to $1 or 50 cents, then it's no longer a, a problem. So, and I thought that was, like you're saying, I thought that was really interesting because it, it does show BCH once again, forming a nice little middle ground between BDC, which is, which is not going to allow basically any kind of micropayments or any, interesting stuff like that uh especially not on chain and then bsv which is they are doing that but now they're just they're just spamming it up with god knows what it's not real people making well they would say that it was but it's not really economic activity is that the essentially value that is transacted between machines is has more weight than value that is transaction transacted between humans because most of our economy is going to run on machines so that's that'll that's the next narrative shift and it's amazing to me to watch the goalposts just go further and further down the field 
making the making a virtue out of necessity there i would say and i mean there is some sort of element to that whole side of things where essentially what they do understand is that the block reward does have to eventually sustain the network they've they've got the right idea about that but they've also just completely overlooked the fact that there's a reason that satoshi put in the initial coin subsidy and that initially the market is going to be driven a lot by speculation and so on and you just sort of have to embrace that and use that as your window to spread real adoption rather than trying to sort of jump the gun to the end and make massive amounts of transactions on chain before either the node developers have have built up enough um software improvements for that uh or you know just to kind of essentially hide or try and fud people out of the fact that real people that I want to buy a coffee. It's not, it's not choosing your chain. So instead it's like, well, what if we just have somebody who, it's just weird. It's just, look, it's not, it's not supposed to be Google drive. Basically is the simplest thing. It's Bitcoin. It's not Google drive. We already have Google drive. If you want that, that's something different. Um, But as far as the capacity stuff goes, I think the, there's certainly an element where the narrative for BDC they just don't, there's just not a lot of good engineering in there. And I think we're going to touch on this as well later in the show, but the a competent engineer does not run their system at capacity or even near capacity. You just don't do it. You don't have your server load at 85 or, or 90% because the fact is in most applications and quite particularly in very internet heavy uh viral network type of things you're you're gonna have spikes that are going to way out uh out compete the the current like capacity basically right so if you have your capacity your server capacity at 10 percent, i mean nowadays you have with terraform and whatever you can have auto scaling so your stuff just automatically spins up more amazon servers as more and more people uh, flood into your site so those things are starting to ha- happen but even setting that aside if you just have your servers at 10 percent, if you grow 5x for one day because your thing goes viral then you're loving it and you're having a great time whereas and there's not that much downside to having a few extra servers online whereas the opposite is a heavy heavy cost if you start to go viral and get traction and then everything crashes and millions of users miss out on the one time they were slightly interested in using your your product and trying it out and or they get a negative impression because the one time they tried it it was down and it wasn't working then you're essentially screwed and so the bdc side is i think they they don't they still understand that they're number one on coin market cap and they still understand that they've got the kind of uh incumbent advantage what they don't see is the the hidden cost of all the people like you or like anybody that try bitcoin or maybe they don't try bitcoin increasingly these days because it's got such a bad reputation but they try it they do one or two transactions and then they go somewhere else and they just it's like if their community is not shrinking it's just not growing relative and that's that's terrible for them actually because they're always spouting off about network effect and how bdc has the brand and is established and everything but it that doesn't matter if you just have they are not at the size that it's taken over the world and everybody is transacting in bdc so if you're not at that scale then 
the network effect doesn't mean very much if other people are growing it in percentage terms faster than you despite your network effect eventually that's just going to fall apart all this time that they've spent trundling along capped at the 300,000 350,000 transactions a, a day for the last four or five years has just led huge innovation in all the other coins so yeah I think that's that's kind of my impression of it on the BSV side I'm just looking at the growth of the blockchain that's um this has skyrocketed i don't know if you've seen, seen <laughs> yeah. have you seen that yeah yeah it's like yeah. you know at so, the moment for the for the viewers so btc is about 350 gigabytes i think the chain is or a little bit more bch is maybe in the high 190 or two i'm doing this off the top of my head but it's about 97 yeah oh there you go interesting bchd is a little heavier I recently set okay. up a node and it was 215 gigs, I think. All right. There, well, there you go. So because obviously up to the time of the split, they have the same amount. And then afterwards, BCH has been uh, lower for most of it. So it's smaller. And then BSV, it's like four terabytes or five terabytes. And it's just, and it's rocketing up faster and faster yeah. and faster. They, they're just spamming away their blockchain with their uh op return data pushing and yeah like that's just a disaster i mean if if they were getting that kind of growth because the entire world was flooding in to genuinely use their blockchain that would be what what, what we were just talking about the bdc would they would just be taking over the world everyone you know would be trading in bsv it would be so hype it would be killing it but instead they just slowly drifting further and further down the coin and market cap list as they get more desperate spam, which makes it even harder for new people to get involved or interested because how are you going to, I mean, storage is cheap. That's the BCH line, but it's not so cheap that you can just add terabytes and terabytes with no regard for actual growth to back it up. Yeah. I think there's like, I don't think we should have a permanent inflation, but if you wanted to perfectly, um cost everything like um you would have that that continuous inflation right because um there's a continual cost of the growth of the blockchain um on the bs uh, bch side i think it's a pretty fair assumption if it's real economic activity the reward from the transaction fees once the inflation's gone should be enough to cover that growth um, that would make sense, I think. But um, yeah, BSV seems like it's just taken that too far, really. Everything in moderation, exactly. But the BDC side, interestingly, have they are starting to question things. It's a bit s- slow off the blocks in my mind, but there's recently I did see some stuff by Dan Held. I was posting about it in the BCH Telegram uh, right. podcast Telegram and that they they are starting to sort of talk in these weird circles around was big blocks the right move all along or in the long run how are we going to pay for how are we going to pay for our blockchain because it's clearly the the lie which was pretty obviously a lie but some people believed it was that well we're going to have high fees and therefore people will a couple of sort of whales will pay for these 
fees and therefore we'll have enough to support. But that's just nonsense because that would only work if BTC was the one and only cryptocurrency. If there was no competing cryptocurrencies that didn't that had cheaper fees, then that might be the case. But the fact is, given long enough, people who are paying ridiculous fees sooner or later and usually sooner will find an alternative. And that's what Ethereum is struggling with. That's what Bitcoin BDC is struggling with. In the case of Bitcoin BDC, it's more self-imposed. Well, perhaps they're both self-imposed, but for different reasons. And so that, yeah, that's just, they're kind of starting to think, wait a second, guys, this has been fine so far, but they kind of can't escape the black hole of logic, which is that originally it was peer-to-peer cash and Satoshi chose the economic model that he did very specifically. And they were very happy to throw all that idea out the window but as time ticks on it's it's looking more and more like satoshi was onto something shocker so anyway (laughs) all right let's do the the cent in usd this week speaking of on-chain uh metrics bdc has actually had a pretty good week it's been up a little bit bch still we've had no return of the whale been kind of hanging out wondering where they went but they seem to have vanished without the price crashing so i guess they weren't selling them all so that's that's kind of fine and on to our first actual proper topic then uh so bitcoin 2022 which i think i mentioned on the last show and it was in i think it was the 6th to the 9th of april so it was recently going on uh it just kind of sucked to to be honest <laughs> I, I i mean i obviously i'm not going to be the first one to be out championing wow bitcoin bdc had a great conference or anything but I, I i will give credit where it is due if there if there was if it was exciting if there was some cool announcements or there was some innovation that other coins should be looking to copy or something i would i would recognize it i i honestly would but it just didn't didn't happen this is the biggest crypto conference in the world there was something like twenty-five thousand employees uh not employees a- attendees the price didn't pump at all obviously uh because people just weren't convinced that it was really happening so it was it was in miami and the big narratives over the three days were lightning network is going to fix everything and there was interestingly a lot about stable coins because Bitcoiners are increasingly unable to actually pay for things in Bitcoin, uh, as time has gone on, they've needed to find something else to get excited about. So it's turned out to be transacting in fiat via Lightning Network, which is what the Bitcoin Cash side predicted before and after the fork that it would just turn into the banking system again. And that's essentially what is happening. And it's pretty transparent that that's what's going on but there's still sort of elements of this need for a peer-to-peer cash revolution which can be seen in the fact that the major sponsor was called this app called cash app and they have a logo which is a a green Mm. it's a green (laughs) uh green b and so everybody was just getting subconsciously like bch vibes into their into their minds while they were here and it's but it's 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 ludicrous on the face of it because bitcoin appear to be electronic cash app electronic cash if your sponsor at your event is an app that does cash it's like well what 
what what are you doing then that doesn't even make any any sense so i don't know did you did you watch any of the streams for this or did you did you get an impression uh, of what was going on? yeah a, a little bit um yeah I, I i agree with what you said that that cash app was hilarious um seeing that logo um i feel like it's a little bit like don't mention the war you know the the block size war in this case and and, yeah. and well the term is really cash like like you say it's um subliminal and they're going to have to you know they have to get payments working if they want it to work and so they sort of some of them want to want to help that and some of them don't and it's just a bit hilarious seeing it happen you know i mean i'm i'm pretty isolated here down in tassie i i could see a lot of value in having a physical conference where people get together you know i would like that i'd i'd love to go to something like that so and you know a lot of the a lot of the stuff um these guys you know that understand um the the idea of inflation being being bad so i can only um you know i just i can't wait till they sort of wake up and the the market turns around because you know i think a lot of these people that are going to this sort of conference can't can't see that yet we got to welcome them when they come and um but yeah yeah it was was interesting from what i saw jordan peterson seems a little bit um on the fence i thought what he said was reasonably good um yeah you've you've got here in your notes about Honduras. So uh Samson Mao um spoke about that. Was that um was that the Prospera thing that he said or was because I know um I know Prospera was mentioned in Samson Mao, but is is Honduras doing something as the whole country? Well that that was the that was the thing about it. So I yeah I, I watched some of the talks I did watch Jordan Peterson's talk and I agree with you on that he was a bit he was a bit lukewarm on it and that was a bit of a theme where because the peer-to-peer cash element has died and because a big majority of the original sort of cypherpunk type of people have got out of there but at the same time Bitcoin has got a lot of clout and brand name and sort of hitting the mainstream a bit they had a lot of speakers that was sort of a bit tangential to bitcoin they were just kind of there they weren't really the the crypto crypto speakers it was more like they had eric weinstein although i didn't uh watch his talk and they also had serena williams came in and a couple of nfl players who were there basically to shill cash app which was a little bit disappointing to see to be honest, but it showed that big crypto and Bitcoin is big enough to get clout and get these sort of celebrity brand names. But it's interesting that you have someone like Jordan come in and he can sort of see that there's something going on here. And he, but when those people come in, they usually emphasize the, the, the real economy part of it. They're not as interested in, okay, the price speculation or we're all getting rich. They don't really jive with that. But he can sort of see, yeah, it's good that we've got an alternative system. I'm glad you guys are trying it. But he also didn't come in with the review of, oh, well, I, wow, this is incredible. Every vendor is accepting Bitcoin and, 
you know, they're just clearly not getting the sense on the ground that this is the revolution. Um, so he did have, yeah, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson. I, and he did actually have a pretty interesting talk. I do recommend. It was different to what he usually talks about as well, too. The interviewer actually did a good job of asking him about entrepreneurialism and how, because he's an academic who typically are not that interested in entrepreneurialism, it's very atypical for him to be so excited about it and how crypto has always been sort of entrepreneurial. So it was actually a good talk. But yeah, I it, it was just very telling to me that these sort of celebrity uh attendees who were kind of like well it's a cool idea to have a separate economy but they clearly weren't super sold on it even as they were right in the in the mecca of everything and then as far as samson mao goes the that was another aspect that it just the conference just didn't deliver on which was that he was on twitter beforehand hyping up guys i'm gonna be giving some face melting announcements it's gonna change the world it's gonna be huge but yeah, of okay. course at the end of the day it was a bit of a lame duck where i think i don't even know specifically what he and i was i'm not going to bother watching his talk but i had a bit of a look afterwards what he sort of announced that a couple of these other sort of nations smaller geographic areas were going to look into bitcoin a bit there was something about mexico was maybe going to do some legal tender laws but it wasn't really that locked in or solid there was something about honduras maybe going to be involved but the thing is they they can't even get it right in el salvador and bukele himself didn't show up even though he was supposed to be one of the big speakers i don't know what he was going to say because it would have been probably a bit hollow after last year it was guys we're taking bitcoin and uh and the the bitcoin city and everything as far as i know they don't have that much of substance to really report that it's taken off. I mean, maybe they would have some numbers that they could bring up, but certainly the independent reviewers have not found there to be in- incredible adoption in in El Salvador. So he didn't even turn up because his country was busy with gang violence, which not another great endorsement yeah, for the free and open <laughs> economy happening there either and yeah this honduras I'm protesting stuff. bitcoin exactly <laughs> <Stops the> violent. <laughs> yeah, the violence. Right. It, it, it wasn't that it was just separate like a murder spree by their actual criminally you know organized but there but that's right there has also separate to that there's also been bitcoin protesting and just there's just been problem after problem after problem and if you just look behind the veil even the slightest bit it's just it's just not been convincing and yeah samson was out there telling everyone how he was going to have these awesome announcements but at the and so were a lot of people so was jack mallers and whatever but from my observation of the twitter feeds and the streams and everything everybody was hoping for some big exciting announcements like el salvador yeah, okay. last year and it just didn't arrive there was it was like we're still working on trying to make lightning payments work yeah i know with i know with the um the prospera so that's as a zetis it's like a a, a economic zone special zone in honduras oh maybe that and i did see uh joel bomgar he's he's the president or ceo of that that um company it's it seems like a really good thing that those guys are doing and I know you can pay, but with BTC, you're, 
um, your fees for that. So it's like it's um it's a like a, a private city is the idea is what they want to start. And he was there. I know he's a BTC fan. Great guy, Joel. Um, yeah, but just on onto Bitcoin. But I do know they also uh, they're fairly agnostic with setting up like so just businesses in cryptocurrency in general. Um, they're not. Then they're far from Bitcoin only at Prospera. So. So he was there and um, at the Bitcoin conference, but it wasn't even maximalism, you know? Well, that's it. Everybody's just slowly, there's only so much hype you can have. And and that was another little sub-narrative that emerged out of the conference is just this disaster that is just so predictable of online toxicity. It just doesn't translate in real life. And it's just amazing to see where... They online, there's all this, nah, screw the other shit coiners and da 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 da. But it's very hard at a crypto meetup to say to somebody, you're a shit coiner. Because even at this literal conference, which was the, the peak of it all, it's still in face to face with someone. They're just going to be like, why are you just a rude, impolite person? They're just not going to react well. And you're going to suffer the immediate social repercussions of everyone kind of looking at you like, what are you doing? So they had they had this kind of panel with a few people on it who were sort of commenting and stuff. And some of them said some stuff like oh, all these shitcoiners, or maybe they didn't even go that far. I think there was there was definitely some of that, but this kind of more BC maxi type vibe. But then they had this amazing panel where one of the guys on stage said, "All right, no judgment, but I just got these two questions that I want to ask." So the first question is, you know, who here doesn't own Bitcoin? And it was like maybe a couple people raised their hand, but not not really that many, right? And then it, and then the second question was, who here owns Ethereum? And it was like 60% of the audience or something yeah, like right. that. And the guy on the stage and the people on the stage who were a bit more in the inner circle bubble were like shocked. They couldn't it was like what is going on? And somebody made a sort of half-hearted joke along the lines of, is this the Bitcoin conference? What are we, what are we doing here? And there was certain takes on Twitter of people being like, why is there so many shit coiners at our Bitcoin conference? It's just reality was just flooding in on, on this little echo chamber that the reality is most people are sort of pretty agnostic about what coins they like. And, face-to-face in real scenarios you can't be so negative and dismissive of all the exciting things or the projects or the utility or whatever has got got people fired up so it really does seem to just be coming apart at the seams a little bit in all in all those regards having said that you know i I think I, i said at the beginning that i Originally, when I got into BTC and I saw the Coinbase listing, I, it just confused confused me to see different cryptocurrencies, and I thought that's silly. Um, but I mean, you can imagine easily when there's a flippening, um, whatever coin that is, but probably BCH. It's there, there's no reason to desire like lots of cryptocurrencies, you know, like you. I would imagine you'd see a consolidation and people prefer 
just because of economic activity. Like it's a hassle to have to trade from different currencies all the time. So we we don't need this toxic masculinity to um, maximum. Max, what is it? Ma- <laughs> Maximalism. Now I can't say it. Maximalism. Very, yeah, yeah, I said it wrong. <laughs> um, to, 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 you know, to consolidate the market. The market will do that on its own um, because it's just a hassle, you know. Um, yeah. Yep. Good. It was, it was certainly, certainly interesting. So I, I think two more final uh, points or maybe three more final points if I can keep them all in my brain. So on the, on the slide, I've got a picture of the Bitcoin BDC bull. So this was honestly the most hype thing of the whole conference was they unveiled, they've made a, a, a kind of statue thing of a Bitcoin. It's like a cyber, cyber bull basically, which is kind of a reference to the Wall Street uh, bull that is famously uh, on on Wall Street. It's sort of in a pretty similar pose, but it's got it's in black and gold, and it's got the kind of yeah Tron style plating and everything like that. But a lot of people were making fun of the fact that it's got no balls, <laughs> unlike the Wall Street bull. So there was a lot of uh, jokes about that bit of a sign of the times there uh too and i it sort of does make sense with the whole cyber element but then it also means it just kind of doesn't have have that kick to it really and then the uh one thing that i saw that somebody did say who went was that the businesses that are thriving in this environment uh, of the ones that were presenting and had stalls and so on and so forth was exchanges wallets and miners are the ones who are kind of making it happen and that's actually amazing news for BCH uh, in particular because uh, both exchanges, firstly, are generally not aligned to any coin because they don't care which one wins. They're going to win however it works out. And then wallets and miners, particularly miners, but also wallets, are going to be a bit more chain agnostic. So if all this money and excitement and whatever is going on with those businesses if they're succeeding, that's great because if BCH starts rising up the ranks, well, it's pretty easy for them to just defect and and change sides, right? If there was lightning network payments, even that we could still sort of co-opt, I think. But if it was something very BTC specific uh, that was thriving, then that would be less good for BCH specifically, but all other cryptos. But I think it's just very telling that the chain agnostic businesses are the ones that are doing well and finding success rather than the the chain specific ones all right hop in here real quick yeah yeah jump in what was what was your thoughts what how how much of the conference did you watch uh i watched maybe a total of 30 seconds i was like this is too much for me Um, (laughs) but i i saw i now i didn't fact check this this might be complete and utter garbage but i saw Bukele share a thing on his Twitter that was saying that some U.S. institution was looking into what they were doing with Bitcoin and they considered it a threat. And I'm wondering if that was part of the reason why he didn't attend the conference. Like he doesn't want to go to the states because he doesn't want to risk getting uh, Department of Justice showing up to yeah. just wreck him. <laughs> yeah, could have been. Um, Definitely could have been. 
And on your point, Duncan, I've mentioned this before. I think I mentioned this once on the podcast. I think Bitcoin specifically, I always view as like this fractal. And so if Satoshi can come back and spend on your chain, it's still valid as Bitcoin. But eventually that fractal, while it does expand, will re- will reconsolidate. Um, and it'll be the death spirals that are the action of that consolidation. Um, I don't know, you know, it, it, it might be a completely incorrect, uh, you know, kind of model for things too. And, and I don't think anyone can predict how that's going to go, but I think it's been useful to be like, if it, just the, that first concept of if Satoshi can come back and spend on your chain, and it still uses the same SHA-256 algorithm, it's Bitcoin. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it would be one interesting thing is that we haven't seen anybody try and do anything radically different. Like nobody has said, we're going to be the inflation Bitcoin fork. Nobody's really tried that. Or we're going to be, I don't know what might be another thing. Like there's only a couple of very core tenets to Bitcoin. You couldn't really say we're the closed source Bitcoin. That wouldn't really work. Or the the company sponsored Bitcoin is really already BSV um you know like there but there's there's different there's different some an inflation focused bitcoin might be an interesting one but there's just been no desire for it people have just done that on other chains instead uh or the evm compatible bitcoin well that's us so i don't know a lot a lot of things are finding their way uh into one of the forks i i guess um somewhere or another and i yeah i want to also, yeah, just wrap up this segment by saying that probably next year, I don't know if I'm going to even do a segment on the conference unless it turns out to be super hype. If the trend downwards continues, it'll just be pretty irrelevant, I think, by next year. Last year, it was a bit of a joke and there was the El Salvador news and uh, Max Kaiser was on scre- on stage screaming to the, the cultish uh crowd and then this year there was just not that much energy or excitement there was a lot of talking around stable coins and they're just behind the times it was the big it's the biggest event but that doesn't mean it's where the most action is it just means it's where most of the sort of newest entrants and most of the people who are just dabbling seem to be at so I don't know. We'll see. I, I definitely don't want to eat my words next year. If, wow, it's kicking off and it turns out to be a big thing. But I Will can just Smith see a scenario where... starts punching people in the face. <laughs> could be. Could, could be somebody mixing it up. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe him and uh, Bukele are both a bit worried about the Department of Justice. So you, know, you never know. <laughs> Uh, you never know how people end up being in the same category. But anyway, next slide. The most the most interesting thing that came out of the conference was somehow, and I still have no explanation for this, the conference started and immediately major, major news publications, CNBC, Forbes, and NASDAQ all published what is the difference between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash articles, including CNBC tweeting it out to them more than 1 million followers and this just caught me totally off guard i had no idea what this was about why would it just suddenly be that at the bitcoin conference either they thought that everybody needed to know this or 
following them. And it, it, it almost seemed a bit coordinated. It was just so bizarre because BCH usually is so off the radar and so unmentioned. Why of all times during the Bitcoin conference would this suddenly become a thing? And it wasn't even inaccurate. They, I mean, they weren't perfect, but the articles were much more sort of fair and reasonable and balanced than, than we've tended to see in the past, specifically by non-crypto type of observers. Do you, do you have any theory? What, what, what happened here? Slow news year, maybe. You know, you have to, you have to report on something if you're a news agency. So what news has there been in BTC, I guess? But that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, Jet, any ideas, Jet? Yeah, they looked at that conference and they had the exact same assessment as you. And they were like, this is boring. I bet you these guys, you know, willing to go out on a limb and take this risk can throw a better conference than, uh, better conference than this. So let's hype it up. Maybe next year they'll have the funds to throw their own and we could go report on that one. Yeah, yeah, maybe they're just they're just planning ahead a little bit. I don't know. It just it was just very very bizarre because usually one of these articles coming out would be unusual for BCH, and it was just unbelievable that there was three of them from major publications all at the exact time of the Bitcoin conference. But yeah, I love to see it, and maybe it shows that the the winds are changing a little bit. The narrative is is slowly starting to shift as people have realized Bitcoin BDC is not it. They just haven't capitalized peer-to-peer cash it's not happening or separate economy it's not happening it's like we only need to just be here hey like it's not like we have to be making doing an amazing conference if we just be here we have a separate economy so that we're around in two five years when people get sick of the btc fees and that um you know it's it's inevitable people will just swap yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that's something that people undervalue is it's, I always see it as it's like a marathon, you know, mm. there's just in, in any marathon races, or whatever, there's somebody who's just sitting in the middle or towards the back of the pack. And they're just there kilometer after kilometer after kilometer after kilometer. And then just when they see their opportunity, bam, straight out of the gates, mm. but they just, it's all about if you've fallen way off the pace and you're not keeping up with the times well then you're out of the picture but if you're just still in the race and just quietly there you just slowly become more and more unignorable as other coins drop off you know like the current wave of coins that is hype at some point they're gonna have a bit of a retraction and things are going to be a bit tougher for them and a lot of them will fade away they'll go bust the communities will disintegrate they won't be able to compete with the next flashiest and greatest round of seed fund investors or whatever it is but bch is not like that it has a real community it has real history it has staying power so yeah it's just that's it all we need to do is stay stay relevant i mean it helps the better our job we do i'm not saying we should we should slack off we should be working hard but on the other hand just time 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 will clean a lot of the a lot of the mm. junk out of the way and it's slowly just pricking the bubble of, of bitcoin bdc too so, so forbes is owned by a majority chinese company um 
I'm just wondering, like, the back end to all of this, was it like a top-down, okay, send this to our publications, and it, like, there's, I don't know, some meeting between CNBC, Forbes, and NASDAQ, or if these people... I think the NASDAQ article was the same one that was on Forbes. I think they do have some sort of okay. content sharing deal. So as far as I'm aware, they were the same. The CNBC one was different, though. It was okay. you know, substantially different. didn't seem like it had been rehashed. So CNBC is owned by NBC, which is owned by Comcast, which is owned by Xfinity. And I have no idea who owns that. So... I'm, I'm I'm going down the rabbit hole, but nothing yet. I'll see if I can find something that makes sense of this. Live investigative journalism. All right, next next slide then. So we've had uh, this related, uh, well, semi-related story that happened after the conference, which is Elon uh, Elon Musk, the maverick, has started his 2022 campaign in the world uh, he's been a bit quiet for a couple of months and definitely towards the end of last year but uh the first thing he he, he did was he's bought 9.2 percent of twitter after a couple of weeks of tweeting to everyone do we have free speech on twitter basically and the majority of people saying no we don't so he's decided that the world needs fixing in terms of its dialogue especially with the prevalence of narrative control on social media these days. So he went and bought 9.2% of Twitter. The board of Twitter then offered him a seat on the board with the condition that it would cap his shares at about 14%. So he couldn't just keep buying up more and more until he kind of had control. So he rejected that offer uh, in a bit of an about face. I don't know whether initially he was planning to go for it or not, but I guess that condition was not working out for him. And he's then put in an offer to buy all of Twitter and make it his own private company at (laughs) 54.20 a share. So he's got the nice troll 420 in there, which is a 38% premium to the current market price. And this put the Twitter board in a bit of a state because it sounds like a, a large amount of the Twitter employees or certainly a non-insignificant minority, maybe, I don't know, uh, don't really want this because they don't really agree with Elon's political stance for for free speech, (laughs) basically. And uh, so they don't really want to have him in there. And the board are a bit upset about all of this, but they're in a weird spot because if if they reject the offer, they will potentially be liable for failing their fiduciary duty to the shareholders in that by being on the board of a large company, you have a financial and a legal legal obligation to look out for the financial interests of the shareholders. So turning down such a huge premium would be a bad move in that regard. And so potentially if they do that, Elon can then just sue them or the shareholders can sue them. I guess Elon is the biggest, well, he's not even the biggest shareholder anymore. He was briefly. And then somebody else has bought up to 10% Vanguard oh, okay. because they've been, <laughs> they've been trying to sort of wrest back control uh, from him. So anyway, he, but he made this movie, he's made this offer and it seems uh, obviously, yeah. So they were in a tough spot because either they could let him buy them out, in which case he was probably going to fire most of the board members or they can t- turn down his uh, offer and then 
probably just get sued and end up getting fired anyway. Um, but uh, it seems their response, and I don't know the, all the details of this, so I, I have to say I'm not the expert on this, but it seems that they've instead adopted this strategy of a poison pill, which is kind of this idea, is sort of a bit of a scorched earth approach where the idea is, look, we'll sort of cut off our own nose to spite our face because Elon's got them in this bind. So they're implementing this strategy that has apparently not been used very often because hostile corporate buyouts like this are not as common as they used to be. But back when they were, people had this strategy, which was basically you they're putting out more shares uh, at a lower price that they're offering to their existing investors. So the plan is that if somebody like Vanguard or these other ones who are more on side with them buys up these new shares, then indirectly that dilutes Elon's uh, shares, right? So it's a way to kind of keep him out of the picture. And I'm not, I I mean, it must be legal and everything because I'm (laughs) sure this is highly scrutinized, but it's a bit of a underhanded, play it's a bit weird too i mean it seems a bit weird that they can just not you know prejudice against elon basically even though Mm. he is even though he is the biggest shareholder so it's i mean we'll wait and see how it how it plays out but this is a pretty big drama i'd say Mm. because it it's so but it's so bizarre that free speech has become such a controversial and such a uh, maligned topic that all the people who are screaming and crying about this are upset that billionaires are taking over our media when it's like billionaires are or they already have what do you mean every other one is owned by these big billion you know there was this classic meme going around about the washington post publishing this thing oh we shouldn't have billionaires in control of our media it's like you're owned by jeff bezos right literally the second richest guy in the world so bit of the pot calling the kettle black here and so apparently it's just a case that if the wrong billionaire starts playing around in the media space then everybody's upset that their echo chamber is threatened but of course it also has a weird dynamic because elon is one of the most active and biggest posters on Twitter. I think he's about the fifth or sixth biggest account. And most of the ones above him are relatively inactive. It's Obama and Taylor Swift and Justin Bieber, I think maybe Donald Trump um, before he got banned. So Elon's not only super popular, but a lot of Twitter actually supports him in this, this move. So it's a weird internal revolt of sort of the employees and some of the posters on one side versus Elon, the somewhat large shareholder and some of the Twitter users on the other side. So yeah, what's your, what's your take on all this, on all this drama? Um, uh, I don't, I mean, personally, I'm not on Twitter. Like it's just a bit, um, not, not my thing. Like it's, um, it's a bit of an echo chamber. Um, but the exception is Elon. Like he's, he's awesome. Like, um, yeah, just sort of enjoying the show, enjoying the headlines and reading what he's doing. It's a lot of money, hey, like, um, and if he's willing to do that, then, um, yeah, buy, buy, you know, at least partially out. And then if he's, yeah, fully buy it all out, that's that's amazing. Um, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> you know, I'd think, 
I think, you know, start something else up um, parallel with it. But it is really hard to get, you know, get that network effect. Um, so I'm just really enjoying the show, really. Um, yeah. I mean, we could we could see it that that that's that might be the alternative move. I mean, we'll follow this up on the mm. next show or whatever. Is that that if it doesn't work out for Elon, well, he can just take all that money that he would have used to buy Twitter and instead start a competitor. He would instantly have a huge mm. uh, following, I guess, depending on how how heavy he wanted to go on on doing it. But especially if he did something like he teamed up with Trump or you know, a couple other of the bigger people who got banned off Twitter and said, all right, we're doing the Elon Musk uh, version and then got a few of them on there to build up a bit more of an interested uh, following as well too. Plus himself, obviously, you know, maybe it would, maybe it would fly. I'd, I'd open an account instantly. I can say that for sure. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see how it, how it plays out, but it's certainly relevant in the in the larger context uh of of the cryptocurrency ecosystem because there's so much of a focus on all these debates around free speech and around narrative control and even for bitcoin cash specifically because it's it has been a bit maligned by by twitter twitter is famously they have crypto twitter is this kind of whole community and a lot of the crypto influences and stuff they all love their twitter right but Bitcoin Cash is a bit underrepresented in that uh, regard, and it also it doesn't have a, a topic on on Twitter. Like it, it very rarely trends and stuff because it's basically subcategorized under Bitcoin, and this seems to yeah, be okay. like deliberate, right? That it's not being given its own little section because if it did, it would be more easy for people to link up. So instead, it's just been slowly infiltrating. So sometimes the algorithm will suggest to you oh, Bitcoin, and then it'll be somebody saying, but Bitcoin sucks, use Bitcoin cash. Uh, and yeah, it's just a bit of a weird dynamic. So if Elon was suddenly in charge and he was open sourcing the algorithm or tweaking things around in there, it might actually be a, a benefit to to the BCH community. But uh, anyway, right after he all this drama or in the middle of all this drama about that, Elon also started up again on his big blocks narrative mm. hype uh where shibtoshi nakamoto who is one of the accounts that elon follows and will uh reply to who's the, one of the creators of dogecoin said i would guess the infrastructure of the web has improved enough in eight years to experiment with speeding it up meaning the block sizes and the um the block intervals as well too and elon said exactly block size and time should keep pace with the rest of the internet which is essentially just common sense like you have to be a nitwit not to understand that things like the exact amount of change is certainly open to debate and whatever but the fact that technology is getting better is not really in dispute and so uh, you know just like saying if facebook put a cap on their website that it couldn't load any faster than it did in 2007 which has been nonsense so uh that you know that's just pretty obviously the the way to go but it was interesting to see him once again reaffirming that and i've got a 
a little line here as well from Peter McCormack, who replied, no, block time should maintain pace with lowest tech slash bandwidth options as Bitcoin is money for all. For speed of light transaction throughput, there is the Lightning Network. The best Bitcoin engineers have already figured this out. They would talk to you, just ask. And I just couldn't believe the lack of self-awareness here, right? That Peter McCormack is this guy who he will say, uh, I'm not an engineer, right? He will very avowedly, he repeatedly calls himself a moron on his own show, which is just part of his shtick really. But the point is that he knows that he's not an engineer and he is talking to one of the most famous, if not the most famous engineer in the world. And he seemingly doesn't understand that being an engineer means that Elon doesn't have to talk to anybody. He can just read the white paper and the code if he needs to and figure it out himself. He doesn't need to talk to these best Bitcoin engineers who are this sort of priest class in Bitcoin BDC that dictate from on high that one megabyte is the perfect, you know, religiously decided amount when he thinks they're the best best Bitcoin engineers because they're the ones that have not been kicked out because of censorship, not because they're actually the best engineers, but he doesn't know that. So yeah, all very, all very bizarre. Any thoughts on that aspect of it? No, um, I, I mean, I don't really see a need for the block size, uh, sorry, block time to change. But I guess that's because BCH does, um, you know, instant transactions anyway. So, and there's proofs there. So, um, but I guess that's probably where he's coming from. He thinks that the they're not confirmed, so it's not going to be as useful. Um, yeah. yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, we'll see how this how this plays out. But I just had to touch on this in the middle of all this twitter drama because there's just there's just a constantly building history of elon kind of being like big blocks is the way guys pretty obvious you know he just hasn't said bitcoin cash yet for who knows why but it's got to happen eventually when is he just it is the one thing it's the it's it's the canonical we are the big blockers (laughs) i don't Mm. i don't know i don't know what's going on just what would you say yeah. What would you say for the, the Bitcoiners who, what would you say to them when they say, but we need it to be a static set in stone because if we can change the rules one day, we might have someone change the infl- increase inflation or something like that. What would you say to that? Yeah, I think that essentially the argument against against changing the limit is, yeah, it's kind of in two elements. So the the sort of the first component, uh, I'll come, the second component is the immutability. So I'll come back to that. The first component is about uh, what Peter is sort of touching on here. Block time should maintain pace with lowest tech slash bandwidth options. I mean, that's basically FUD because it's not maintaining pace with anything. It hasn't changed in in 10 years, right? So uh, it's definitely not doing that. But the idea of, oh, okay, we're going to centralize all our nodes I've talked about this on the show before, but it is undoubtedly true that, for instance, raising the block size but from one megabyte to two megabytes would decrease the number of, of, of node, like it would raise the minimum node hardware requirements. That's just a, a fact. 
but the but it's also true that because technology gets better over time it might be relatively the same as it was you know a few years ago and on top of that it is not the intended configuration of bitcoin for every user to run a node that's not how it's Mm. supposed to work never was and never will be the white paper itself has simplified payment verification explained very clearly that end users do not need to run a node who needs to run a node the miners uh because that's the whole point of them being incentivized by the block reward and the transaction fees anybody businesses who want to verify payments securely because they are running a business so they can afford you know a couple hundred bucks to run a node is nothing to them and uh obviously hobbyists uh who are very keen and if they're keen and they're techie they they're they're in for it that if you've got large bitcoin net worth holders if you've got a couple million sitting in bitcoin then the price of running a, a node just to make sure you know the rest of your investment isn't gone is well worth it right there's all these people who should be uh developers as well who obviously need to do it to build and develop software there's all these people who actually need to and are incentivized to run nodes and they're the ones to do it it's not your grandma on her dial-up connection or (laughs) you know someone in a rural part of like tasmania perhaps doesn't have the world's best internet right (laughs) like it's not going to be people in those areas running nodes and trying to the trade-off of trying to support those people who aren't really going to run nodes anyway is huge in terms of the uh, ability for the network to scale the economic utility of having low fees the censorship resistance you need to have enough nodes to have censorship resistance but once you've got more than that it's kind of irrelevant if i told the bitcoin bdc people i can destroy one of your nodes and double the adoption that would be an obvious trade to make right Mm. but you know they this religion around one megabyte allows no subtlety of 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 that scale so yeah that's that's one aspect uh to it that's kind of the more the more common angle and the second angle is this immutability aspect that yeah there's sort of this idea which is important of uh shelling points which is that if for instance i said to you you know if um if i take away like one dollar from you does it does it make you poor and you would say no and so i take that dollar and then i say well i'm going to take another dollar and another dollar and another dollar right it's like a thin end of the wedge type of argument eventually small a small uh, amount of change can become a big problem and it's that same idea in Bitcoin that if you compromise your culture as to we're going to raise the block size limit, well, then maybe we'll just end up like BSV (laughs) with our four terabyte blocks full of spam, right? And they're not entirely wrong about that idea. It's also reinforced heavily by the um, Bitcoin narrative that uh, that they are like gold. Basically, that analogy has just sunk in there so much and one of the key properties of gold is that it's been the same for you know millennia so because they see that as the selling point that's that's one thing that they just definitely don't want to tamper with and it's interesting that they haven't it's kind of come full circle because the bsv people are obsessed with turning it back to version 0.1 and ossifying it and the BDC people are sort of doing the same thing, but they're kind of like, no, nah, but let's put in Taproot and let's some things just suddenly mm. get accepted from this. 
but the general idea that we're just going to basically not change anything and the fact that it's stable and predictable is necessary to have billions of dollars of uh or trillions of dollars of value continue to flood into it it's not necessarily wrong you do want your network to demonstrate that it's reliable and it has um you know that you're not going to just screw up everyone's investment because people have a lot of money uh, at stake but clearly ethereum is far more innovative and changing things around they also have plenty of value not enough to flip bdc yet but they 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 are accumulating value they are catching up in that 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 race so i think it's really just a question of drawing fine lines like i'm not worried that the bch community is going to say we need to raise the 21 million limit because i think that's baked in and everyone understands we're just not doing that and so i think it's definitely possible to understand that you can have a moderated approach to block size increases without throwing out any ability for the community to have principles on it like the bch community is not going to change away from char 256 they're not going to change to proof of stake there's a lot of things they're not going to do and i'm not worried about and just this one this one thing doesn't yeah it just doesn't need to be the the hill that you die on basically does that answer it <laughs> yeah yeah no that's good i mean i I think it's worth asking those questions. I don't sort of doubt any of that, but um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I suppose broadly speaking, I just think the community um, just—it it is a community. It's not a—it's not a company. So exactly, yeah. the the users, the community have social pressure. You know, there's no reason, there's no incentive they're going to want to have inflation. So um, I don't find that a convincing argument that that would ever happen. Um, I also, um, John from Bitcoin Out Loud, I don't know if you've heard. Oh, John Moriarty, what, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you heard what he once said. He reckoned we could have um, no replay protection with forks. So if someone did fork off, I mean, they have to choose not to have replay protection, but... Um, you can effectively transact on multiple chains at the same time and just see what happens, see what the market chooses in a very invisible way. That's a, yeah, weird concept, but. um, Yeah, yeah. it is. I mean, I, I'm not, uh, I would probably need to read up a little bit more on that because that gets very finicky, the dynamics of, of that, but there was essentially, yeah, this idea that, some people are or were or maybe in the future will be in favor of that in a scenario where your chain splits into two you could bch implemented this thing replay protection where if you made a transaction on bch it wouldn't be valid on bdc uh and i think but when bsv forked i think they inherited the same thing uh so they were not able to broadcast uh, across both chains as far as i'm aware uh but i might be wrong on that Anyway, the the point was that you can, yeah, you can sort of force the issue a bit if you don't implement replay protection. Things turn into a bit of a mess because uh, people are transacting on one side or the other side and then these coins that they may or may not know that they've had, that they may or may not have split correctly, that they may or may not have intended are being transacted onto different chains. But I guess the idea is 
if you have all that, that raises the incentive to figure it out pretty quickly because otherwise you're just throwing away loads of money uh, if you're just doing it without being unaware of, of what's going on. And that would force like the way it worked out. A lot of BTC people were just unaware of their BCH coins or never bothered to move them or do anything with them or lost them somehow or another. But if they had been having, you know, them getting sent off into the ether unexpectedly, well, that would have uh, definitely changed the market dynamics, I think. All right, cool. Next slide. What do we got next? We got, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. And uh, this was just some stuff about the poison pill uh, and Elon just saying that basically he had them in this position where if they screwed up their fiduciary duties, they would be legally liable. So, yeah, but it is pretty scary, basically, that uh, this is the extent to which people will go to to preserve their censorship narrative. Okay, I just love and- how he, he's very, um, he's just open, isn't he? Like, he's talking about billion-dollar transactions, but he's just... Uh, I'm sorry for skipping ahead Doing it here. public. <laughs> My keyboard has decided to disconnect. Give me one sec. Oh. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, anyway, we're gonna we can start off on the next topic anyway. So the next topic yeah. is the addictive cost of technology. So this is why you're on the show. So you wrote this article which was explaining well, I'll 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 let you explain, but you wrote an article about the dynamics of uh Bitcoin and uh how the economy is supposed to work and how that implement you know implements in in the broader market so yeah maybe give your introduction rather than me summarizing it yeah sure so i mean the the addictive cost of technology that i mean it doesn't make a lot of sense that title but i did on purpose pick that because the community that i'm in um you know um my wife homeschools homeschools our kids um we're in a rural community, so there's just a lot of scepticism towards technology in general, um, and, and I'm sure you've met people like that. You know, they just want it to go be like the good old days. Um, so I just, just sort of learning um, more on economics during the years, I just noticed this pattern and just really wanted to articulate it um, in layman's terms. So um, uh, you guys probably have heard uh, about the Austrian School of Economics and that's, you know, that's that it's that sort of thinking that um, Bitcoin has come out of that, which is to favour sound money, having non-inflationary money being a good thing. Um, uh, And, so, but then on the other side, um, you know, um, so all my essay was, and it's pictured in that graph really simply, um, is just that the reason why the Austrians are right in sound money being a good thing, but the neoclassical economists being right that we're not seeing CPI rise. So that there's, you know, there's often a lot of arguing between those two camps is just simply that technology is um, negating the cost of that inflation. So if we didn't have millions, billions of people um, 
Jeremy, you're in, in software, if you, the, the software that you're writing for your company, ultimately in some way would be reducing cost um, in, in, a, in efficiencies, better efficiencies. And, you know, over the last 50, 100 years, we are, um, everyone's needing to use computers at work. Um, we're using email, that's saving time, all those things on a, on a, at a small, on a large scale, uh, uh, reducing costs. And, you know, we, we, most people think that's good. It's good for things to run efficiently, efficiently, but on that other side of things, it just seems sad when, um, the supermarket puts in a self service checkout and they have to lay off all their workers. You know, what's, what's the answer to that? from a moral perspective and you know uh, there's skepticism in my community and sometimes you know i've felt that as well is you know reject reject technology um and you know i'm not opposed to people reducing technology in their life you know it's, it, it can be a, a good thing in itself um but i i just wrote this because i wanted people to realize well don't don't get angry at all these people at their work trying to be efficient, trying to do the right thing. Um, we, re- we really need to look at sound money or honest money or, or something like that. Um, you know, that, that ultimately is what's going to benefit everyone, whether you're, um, you know, or I say in the essay, an organic um, loving hippie, you know, um, that just wants to raise, raise cows, that sort of thing. Uh, you can do that. You can have the affordability of having a pantry full of, you know, pure organic food. Um, it'll cost you more, but um, because you wouldn't have that rising cost, um, we, what we're seeing a lot of, lot more in the last few months. Um, but on the other side, you know, like others that that are quite fine with the technology that can keep up keep the pace, you know, they're going to enjoy, you know, reduced costs. So it really just was about um, trying to encourage people to look at the right, um, where where the problem was. Um, So, yeah, I enjoyed doing it. I did the the essay, just self-published it on my blog. uh, And then I did it, just did a video reading it out after that. Um, Made it a little bit more visual. Um, I mentioned it in cryptocurrency back then when I wrote it, but I, I hadn't hadn't used it at all. Um, but I, oh, really? you know, I saw I saw that that was, you know, a good solution. I I had under, I had seen it in the news and understood Satoshi had that it had sort of this um, Austrian school um, heritage, I suppose. You know, a, a a pushback against central banking. So I sort of mentioned it in passing in the, as a solution. Um, and it, yeah, so it really was, for me, that was the start of that journey. And, um, but it wasn't a few years, I suppose, I uh, before I actually thought, well, I should just try this Bitcoin thing. And um, if it really is, um, yeah, if it really can be a solution. I tried BTC for a bit. And to just, you know, on my laptop um, using it. And that was fine. But it, it wasn't until I saw 
Bitcoin Cash and just saw what the community was doing, how how much they were just getting out, you know, and talking to people and doing real world things. And, you know, saw the heritage there that a lot of these community members had um, before the block block size wars, you know, it was, it was, a, it seemed like it was that same spirit that, um, yeah, it was really, I suppose, uh, it, it's, it gives, gave me a lot of hope, you know, like here's a solution that you can work towards, you know, you don't have to write this essay and think you know, this, it might happen in theory, but it was a real practical thing, which was, um, was really good it was enjoyable i suppose and um you know I, I i don't i don't do a hard sell with any of that um i mentioned before i'm now talking with the chamber of commerce just in my in my town and that's that's actually been pretty um it was well received so i've i've, I've done one talk and we're going to potentially open up soon to the wider community and I'm not trying to make it like a real shill for this coin. I do. I use Bitcoin Cash because because it, it works. But I suppose making it as a training exercise um, because it's. Re- I mean, it's really easy, isn't it? But it's just that first step. I think is scary, and it, it doesn't make it any better when there's so, so many scams around. Yeah. So that that's pretty much how I I did it. Mm. Yeah. So this, uh, for the audio listeners, I just want to describe this graph, which I think, you know, a picture tells a thousand words. It certainly uh, drove the point home, I, I would say for me. So you've got a graph here of a long-term Australian CPI and M3 money supply comparison. So if you imagine you've got the red line, which is the amount of money, which is the sort of hockey stick graph, just <laughs> quickly ramping up because all governments, but the Australian government is one of the worst offenders of this, are just churning out so much money to everyone that it's just ridiculous. Like everybody's money is getting diluted and it all floods around the economy and then prices rise. So there's that aspect. And then you have CPI, which is the blue line, which is sort of going along and they they start kind of together, but they diverge as the red line rockets up uh, and to the right. The blue line is rising, but it's much, much slower. It's more sort of a small linear increase. So what what is going on, you know, in the divergence there is you've done this uh, yellow triangle, which you've labeled technology is absorbing some or much of this cost, which makes sense because it, that's what you're saying about the economists arguing about it is so much money has been printed out. Like you can say the price of, uh, I mean, the amount of us dollars or whatever has been, you know, doubled or tripled or quadrupled over the last f- few years, basically in the same in Australia. So why aren't prices are higher, but they're not twice as high or they're mm-hmm. not, you know, uh, four times as high or something. So what gives? Well, partly uh, a lot of that fresh cash just sits in the banks. It doesn't necessarily go into circulation. And then also partly there's a bit of a lag because once the money gets out and around, it takes a little while for people to realize, oh, money is worth less and <laughs> adjust their prices upwards. But it's a very well-made point that at this uh, technology and economic improvement is essentially offsetting the rise in in prices you are getting um 
like if 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 there was no money printing then the technology improvements would mean that prices would drop uh which would actually be a great thing for consumers mm. but that's kind of the austrian uh side of the side of the picture and it's it, it is an interesting idea especially in the light of i think that as the money supply is going exponential perhaps our technology growth is is doing the same thing right technology mm. is getting more and more integrated and uh, this kind of story that the gdp grows two or three percent per year and that's about the rate doesn't really seem to me to hold a lot a lot of a lot of weight and perhaps this this explains some of that and i think we're in a world now where inflation is getting more and more and more mainstream more and more like five years ago 10 years ago bitcoiners were screaming about inflation and everybody was like yeah the price goes up once in a while but my wages go up a bit you know what of it but it's now getting to the point where inflation despite these is is outpacing even these technological (laughs) improvements and uh people are starting to clue in and wonder what what is going on here and not in it's not happening in some far off country i mean it's ridiculous to say that right but for people from the point of view of australia or america if you tell them a story about lebanon or about turkey or about argentina you know they can just block that out and that's happening somewhere else i don't really care about that right but now it's starting to happen all over the place including the more historically stable countries like australia Mm. and like the and like the us so people are waking up to this stuff and it is proving the case for cryptocurrencies just very slowly and uh painfully in some respects but it is it is getting the the job done are you seeing a lot of in, inflation in australia are you noticing that or are you noticing people on the ground getting more worried about it uh yeah i think so um I, yeah my wife just going to the groceries she's talking about it and shortages hey pe- people haven't sort of um linked those two together i think like sh- just having shortages of of stuff um i did hear once a testimony from a guy I think he was Ukrainian. They went, I think they must have gone through hyperinflation. Um, and yeah, he just described the, what it, when he went through it, it was always something else, like the, the problems that happened in supply chains. There was always another reason of what caused that. And that's what I've sort of experiencing um, and experiences at going to the grocery shop there's shortages and then i'm going to work and um and uh for manufacturer and they're they're having supply chain issues so it sounds a lot like what he's describing um just on this um this essay this is a really interesting thing that like when i started up i i thought i you know i'm just just a commoner i'm just a normie Surely someone has thought of this. And I was just dumbfounded when I went to the RBA website. And there's a small little part in when they're describing inflation. And they say this, they say, for some types of quality change, it's doubtful if any accurate measure of the change can be calculated. So this is when they're trying to calculate CPI. Um, which is important for their stakeholders, the Australians. 
For example, in the case of services, consider changes in medical operation, operating procedures, e.g. keyhole surgery, that involves less pain and a speedier recovery, or education services making a greater use of computers. And their solution? In these cases, generally no quality adjustment are applied. So they basically don't worry about it. <laughs> so <laughs> very Australian. Um, that, that's, the, that's the answer. That's the government's answer for this problem that we have here. We just don't calculate it. We don't we don't see that in CPI, the rising cost of living. So yeah, and it's it's just bizarre because it's another scenario where the, the government's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, honestly, because if it's the they if they do do this in the US, which is they do hedonic adjustments where they're trying to sort of factor that in, right? That, oh, okay, well, today it costs $100 to yeah, go to a concert. Oh, concert's not a good example. But yeah, today a surgery costs you know $100 to get whatever your broken arm fixed or something. Uh, but then in a year, it still costs $100 to get your arm fixed. But in the meantime, humanity has developed a better sling for your arm and a better protocol that uh, means you recover faster and, and whatever, right? So the quality is is rising. So in the US, they do try and adjust for that. But then it's the opposite problem. Instead of just completely ignoring that, what they do is they basically use it to manipulate the numbers where they say, oh, okay, they work backwards. Like, oh, we want to have a low CPI but CPI is pretty high. So what about if we look what's high on this CPI list? Mm, uh, um, medical procedures, cost of that is rocketing up. But don't worry, guys, we've arbitrarily decided that it's 20% less painful when you get your arm fixed. So obviously, you've got to yeah, factor okay. that in and just knock that down. Or maybe we'll, we'll reduce the percentage impact that has, or maybe we'll take it out of the numbers. And, you know, that's another way that they kind of fud the numbers. But it's pretty... It's pretty apparent to anybody who thinks it like i think a lot of this just comes from economics people are not really taught economics because it's quite i mean they call it the dismal science right it's it's, as there's quite a lot of gray area in in there Mm. and the the concept of a rising standard of living is quite hard to sort of reason through when you think about all this money in the bitcoin ideal or in the austrian economist type of view the point is if you have a fixed supply of money as people's uh prices will will go down as well as people's lives getting better and everyone will be happier so essentially growth in the economy which comes from people creating new goods and services uh and therefore redistributing their time from one thing to another thing uh will result in a better world uh for the people right the value of that economic growth directly translates into a better standard of living you used to be able to have three burgers a week but now you can have you know five but the at the moment we're just being skimmed off the top like Mm. not even skimmed like it just wholesale chunks and chunks and chunks of that prosperity is being filtered out into the fresh money that is that is printed by the government basically or another way of saying it is all this work that we're doing this technology is wasted isn't it that work that we did 
well yeah where it's getting yeah your time is getting stolen from you and yeah we're just offsetting it's like uh trying to bail a bucket mm. out of a ship with a hole in it you know like okay we're scooping some out of the side but we're not getting very far or not getting as far as we could be because there's always more water coming in the bottom you know so in an attempt to like really simplify this for my half half asleep brain <laughs> would it be like i remember hearing this uh example a long time ago about uh, employment like when we had you know the the first uh agricultural settlements you know and it took 25 people to get a crop set up uh the invention of the plow wasn't an unemployment crisis it was oh now you have eight hours a day to just leisure around because one person can do the work of 25 people but so is it does it is this saying that that extra eight hours a day that e- the other 24 people could get is being taken from them by the cost by the either cost of inflation or devaluation of the money I think that that sounds yeah. fair yeah I think that sounds fair okay um, yeah it's it's just yeah, offsetting or negating is what I use in the essay as a, as a word. Yeah, um, swapping it out so we don't. We it, it's doing it by stealth. Um, another way I say it sometimes it's 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 making us more dependent on technology. We ha- we have to do it. So you know, like so. For example, my, my wife had to go on a strict diet and have organic flour and and bread and the bread loaf now that we can get has to be refrigerated we don't do it now but when we did um it was much smaller and it was like five bucks or something like that from the organic shop and that was just one thing that was a loaf of bread now what the what uh the central bank the bureau of statistics should be doing when they're um, or the US when they're calculating CPI, they to be fair, they should really compare um, a loaf of bread, you know, 50 years ago with this one that we had that was built with none of that technology in it. And if they did that, inflation probably would match um, the inflation okay. rate. That that clicked for me. Thank you. Um, yeah, and, and another way is like, what about if, the te- the the power grid just turned off um you know today would wouldn't society collapse well that didn't used to happen like the used the economy used to be able to run without i mean not saying it was a great economy and and life was hard but um if it did that now we would have supply chain disruptions you know it would be it would be really problematic why is that? And I think this just explains, it's just explaining that cost that we can't see that that's hidden because technology is doing a good thing. It's doing a good thing and it's letting us survive. Um, but if we didn't have the inflationary money that we have, that, that all that technology would be just benefit, right? Like we would see the, the economic benefit in our lives, more freedom, that, that sort of thing. Maybe you wouldn't be working eight hours a day. Maybe you wouldn't work one or two, you know. Um, Maybe you'd still be, you know, maybe if you're working that that less amount of hours, then you would 
you know, you wouldn't be rolling in it, but um, some people might want to do that. And, um, you know, I think they should be free to. Yeah, it's just this, uh, I mean, I'm certainly not the, you know, economics, you know, expert or university professor or, or anything in the world, but it essentially just comes down to the sort of reasoning from the simple uh, examples like Jet was talking about, which is, okay, you had 25 people and each person could produce one, you know, day, one meal worth of wheat per day that they were out farming the fields, right? And then somebody under-consumes, they... Um, they take a day off or in the evenings, you know, they work extra hard. They have a genius idea. They come up with a better technology. Okay, guys, if, uh, you know, if we plant it uh, two rows at a time, in, you know, with two hands instead of one hand at a time, then we can do it twice as fast. So then that means you're getting the same amount of output with less amount of work, which frees up the time of the people in the, in the meantime at the same standard of living. So then what... That, that's the magic of economics uh, technology improves efficiency or innovations in process and so on right so then when you have that then all that spare extra time well there's two things you can do either people laze about a bit more which is a rise in your standard of living or they reinvest that time and they think oh okay well now we have uh, you know, these people who are sitting around doing nothing, maybe they start becoming artists, right? That now we can have a concert on Friday mm. night that we couldn't have before because we've got people who have the time and energy to sit around and learn to play a musical instrument and then put on a concert on, on Friday night. And then those people start selling tickets to that concert and the people, the farmers have money to buy it because they've improved their efficiency with their own uh, economic gains, right? And so that's how it all how it all uh, works. And that's why now we live in a world where, you know, 1% or whatever it is, 0.5% or something of the the population works on agriculture. And, you know, we have like the technology, the internet sector that you couldn't have ever had in the past. It just wasn't who would have worked in it. Everybody was busy doing something else, but over time more and more and more industries get created as everyone's standard of living uh, rises because you need less and less people to support any one little uh, function, right? Yeah, so that that's kind of what it comes down to. And the point is, if you have a fixed supply money, then the benefit of all that huge explosion in growth directly flows back to the, the people in the economy. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. like the leak in the boat. If you have a... If you have a a, a hole in your boat that's constantly just draining out that water it's not being retained for the people and it's constantly going off you know back to the government and back to their cronies and whatever and then they get to spend it and they get the the benefit of it in the short term but in the long term it just then circles around in the economy prices rise and so everybody is uh indirectly paying the paying the cost of them skimming out their little section so Hopefully that's, and that's why the crypto economy, despite how volatile and rough it is, has boomed (laughs) because if you're in crypto Mm. on average, you're doing a lot better because all the innovation in the BCH economy, I mean, it's a bit of a weird case because BCH has struggled on price for a lot of other reasons, but essentially, and going forward, especially we should be starting to see that uh, the, as the community innovates and all the productivity amongst ourselves, it's flowing back into the holders rather than off uh, somewhere else so even though we are a very small community and network we're still able to out compete much larger economies because the efficiency is is so much higher uh, relatively speaking so 
Yeah. Anyway, people can check out this uh, this article that you've you've written. It was it was really good, and I do especially like that point about yeah, it would only be fair to compare a a bread made in the fifties with bread made today using the same techniques that they made in the fifties. That's 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 a really good way of thinking about it. Okay, next slide. So we've got here we go. Last couple segments. Community comment of the week comes from Mark Falzon. And he was at the Bitcoin conference, so he was giving a bit of an insider view of what was going on there. And he said, who cares about Bitcoin? Well, I'd reckon all the people who are going to be butthurt when I onboard all the businesses across from the BDC convention to accept BCH care about Bitcoin. Speaking of which, already got two merchants on board. And I think this kind of goes to your point that you were saying the BCH community, they're pragmatic. They're focused on real adoption with real people. Like you said, talking to the Chamber of Converse, spreading education, spreading adoption creating new peer-to-peer trade links. And because at Bitcoin BDC, uh, the conference, not a lot of people were even using Bitcoin. Like network activity didn't spike. Why? Because probably not that many people were actually trading Bitcoin at the at the conference. And there was people commenting, oh, the vendors don't even accept Lightning or they don't accept Bitcoin. Or what are we doing here? Everybody's just paying US dollars. Well, it, it would be pretty amazing if Mark uh, and Ryan Giffen as well and some of those uh, people that are in Florida, if they can get a lot of BCH merchant adoption going on, and then next year people come back for the conference and it's the Bitcoin conference, but the whole surrounding area is trading Bitcoin cash, you know, that would just that would just be amazing. So it kind of made me laugh. Yeah, know. Matt, Mark's great. I'm a little bit jealous, like a filmmaker, <laughs> but he's just taken off, hasn't he? I'm not really. I, I, I love my life, but um. But yeah, he do, he just does great, um, you know, with the short videos. He's down to earth um, for a young audience. I think he's fantastic. So I'm really glad he's decided to um, yeah spend his time doing this. So I, th- I think it's well worth it. So good on him. Thanks, yeah, Mark. Thanks, Mark. You're doing absolutely killer work. Uh, I love to see it. And it is, uh, it's a classic example, I think, of opportunities being created in the space that he he's found this niche and he's got funded through Flipstarter and all you know oh. it is starting to work more and more people will end up falling into that into that model o- over time and because there is real real growth and real progress and real momentum uh it just doesn't quite have the hype but as soon as we get a bit of hype going there'll be people just saying what's going on here and then yeah, it's very high uh, proof of passion. Basically, it's very, very tough work, but very rewarding if you if you get it right. Something like adopting a lot of merchants and then staying in contact with them and and getting them the detail. Here's how you save your seed phrase. This is what it's all about: peer to peer cash. Blah 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 blah. Takes a lot to explain, but uh, you know, if you lift the heaviest weights, you get the strongest in the long run, and that's essentially how the BCH community operates. All right, meme of the week. From Sally Mayweather, who I'm a big uh, fan of, one of the biggest uh, libertarian agorist sort of uh, Twitter accounts, and also a big uh, BCH fan, so he sometimes gets in a few roasts okay. on, the, on the BDC maxis, which is pretty funny because I think he gets followed by a lot of people, and then they're like, "Why are you such a big fan of BCH?" So he just slips it in there uh, once yeah, okay. in a while. So he's got the meme is this it's this meme of the the, the kind of 
grandpa type guy who's got the kind of awkward smile and the thumbs up and it's usually like some scenario where he's getting a bit wrecked but still trying to put on a brave face or maybe doesn't really understand what's going on and it says when you get a three percent raise but inflation is 5.4 percent crossed out 6.2 percent crossed out 6.6 percent crossed out 7 percent crossed out 7.5 percent crossed out 7.9 percent crossed out 8.5 percent and he's been he's been doing this meme consistently. He's been updating it with a new crossed out and a new number oh, okay. every time the okay. new CPI comes out, and it's just higher and higher. And higher. So this is he made this first one when you get a three percent raise, but inflation is five point four percent, like a few months ago. And at this stage, it's just escalated to more and more and more and more and more. And it's just this is this is where we're at. We're just at a point of ridiculousness. It's just going to transitory inflation. Well, it wasn't that transitory. Like you were saying about there always being another reason, you know, first it was transitory. Then it was oil prices. Then it was Putin. Next it'll be Elon Musk buying Twitter. You know, there's always some reason that uh, inflation is getting higher. It's never the actual real reason, which is money printing is at insane levels and the economy can't innovate fast enough to to keep up so that that's what's happening but people are not getting that story they're not going to see that written on you know the front page of of the sydney morning herald that's for sure so yeah i i I don't think it'll be too long until we won't have to try hard to convince people hey like it's it's crazy at the moment and look I, i hope it settles down I'm not so sure that it will. Um, I really wish it was, you know, I really wish it wouldn't have to be so destructive. And, I mean, I don't, I don't know the future. I don't think any of us do, but it's it's hard to know how it will play out. But it just would be nice if crypto was a smooth on-ramp, you know, for businesses to get comfortable with it. And that's what I really hope happens that we don't have, it doesn't fall off a cliff. You, you know what I mean? Because, yeah. you know, that's it's just not nice for people, you know. Um, it's just so much cost to families and businesses, communities. So um, either way, you know, crypto, BCH, it's, it's going to be there to to help and collect, collect people, um, you know, stop the economy from... Um, yeah just being completely destroyed but hopefully it's just you know it's a nice smooth on ramp yeah i hope so it's what do you think it'll be well i think i think it's going to be a little bit messy i think it's probably you're not looking at like apocalypse type of scenarios only because crypto is there and i think there's just sort of a natural check and balance in that way it's yeah it's sort of the tragedy of crypto is that everybody's going out bitcoin bitcoin freaking listen to me like bitcoiners or crypto people are known for being so evangelistic so passionate so sort of like stubborn and like persistent and even annoying and all that stuff but the reason that they are is because it's a big issue and it's important and it affects everyone and some of that gets lost in the you know the ponzi scheming and the mania and whatever but underlying it all there is just like just listen please gosh how many times do we have to tell you before before you start to start to get it and obviously yeah if people haven't 
won't learn the easy way. They're going to have to learn the hard way. There's just no other way around it. And as much as I would love it, if everybody would listen to this show, read up on crypto, try it out a little bit, think through, wait, why are prices going up all the time? What, you know, but I think crypto just has an element of staying power that its very existence begs the question here. And this is why it's so important because okay, there was problems with inflation. Peter Schiff has been banging on about inflation for decades. But the thing was, gold was not getting the job done. Nobody cared. All right, you had mm. gold, a couple of banks, whatever. Nobody nobody gave a shit. But now you just cannot ignore crypto. It's just constantly getting bigger. More people are talking about it. And eventually, like like you were saying, you, you just come to a point where you, you think, what is going on here? I just need to look into this. What what am I missing? How How is this not just, gone away or stopped being a thing or or whatever and certainly people are more and more and more um open-minded to it as in well as it's been around longer so it seems less scammy and less weird and less unusual especially if you're young and also as it uh as inflation ramps up and the the same message which has been said don't trust the government. They're screwing with your money, blah, 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 blah. The longer that goes on, the more it resonates around the population, I think. So, yeah, it's it's definitely our work is getting easier. And I think if there is some sort of fairly smooth transition out of this, you know, disaster, then the world will seriously underappreciate <laughs> how much Satoshi has saved everyone's bacon, basically. <laughs> Um, but I don't know. It's going to be fun. We're going to be here to watch it all happen. So, uh, for better or worse, uh, we'll, we'll be following it, I guess. If volatility is the biggest concern for merchants, and this um, that's an assumption I'm taking. I don't know what the largest concern for merchants is. But if that's the case, then we just have to wait for inflation to have more of a downside than the downside from the volatility and then, I mean, hey, if if you've got something that's guaranteed going to deflate at 8.5%, I'd say it'll probably be 12.5% before people are like, Jesus Christ, what's going on here? Uh, then they'll be like, oh, well, I might as well take the risk on the upside of 40, uh, 40% or 70% or something like that. Because even if I don't get there, I'm at least not a guaranteed losing you know this other percentage i think once those numbers get closer together there's going to be a larger proportion of people being like all right might as well yeah and i think that's what's happened in argentina and lebanon and maybe now in ukraine and different you know once the need for it arises people people get it fast it really is not a case that crypto is so scary or so difficult or impossible to understand. Like you can understand what's going on in an hour or two, especially if you have someone there to to explain it to you, mm. you know, just a few simple things about it, show you a transaction, tell you to look after your seed words. All right, there's a, it's a deep rabbit hole so you can go a long way down. But that fundamental idea, everybody understands money and trading and peer-to-peer transactions. It's just a slightly new way of thinking about it. And yeah, so as as the fiat economy gets into ever greater depths of disaster, like for instance, the huge problems with debt around the world, all these consumers are just looking for a way out. And 
that's what crypto is there for really all right last slide second last slide message to the community you've watched this show a bunch you know the drill what's the what's the what's your message uh i I think the bitcoin cash community is doing everything right i think agree with you just that they've that the past that is there is gone now so i think um it's it should only be uphill should only be downhill now like it's it's going to be easy i i think um the branding is great i think like um it's got the bitcoin name in there and the cash is tells people quickly um yeah i mean it, it's pr- been pretty good but we just need to keep being kind to people you know being accepting especially those bitcoiners that you know thought they were onto the right thing i think a lot of those people will come around really easy so we just need to make sure we're welcoming when they do and that i you know i think that mostly mostly happens so that that's um that's great so and uh thank you for welcoming welcoming me as well like i'm a bit of a newbie so i got here so many more will yeah, it's great. It's great to see. And for me, I think it's very important that we see that. And I've been very glad on this show to have had a huge range of uh, adopters of, of BCH, right? Because, um, you know, I remember back when it was way back when, but nobody cares about that, right? Like that, you know, that that's 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 what I think. But if 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 Bitcoin Cash was a thing that got to the fork and some diehards stayed with it, and then it just became the old remember back in the day. And it just, that would, that would have been the end of it. It would have died, but it's so encouraging to me to interview people on this show who are coming, you know, just before the fork. And then, well, we've had some OGs and we had, you know, people who came in before the fork and then people who were a bit after the fork. And then like you were saying in, in 2019, that was, a, you know, a bit more after the fork and you sort of slowly found your way in there and, uh neanderthal that we had where where he was talking about 2020 and 2021 and at some point you know we'll have people who are just getting into it 2022 right it the community needs needs new new growth it needs new people if we're not getting the message through to new people then it's it's over sooner or later so it's just amazing to see that the community does have that aspect it does have a message that is ringing ringing true to people and that people can see and understand maybe not right off the bat because it's not the most um you know hyped one on coinbase or whatever but like you said eventually people kind of think what why why is there a different version of bitcoin like what what is going on it does sort of stand out from the crowd a little bit in that in that aspect there's not there's not bitcoin and then bitcoin ethereum and then litecoin it like having bitcoin in there at all it's like how are these guys getting away with it why isn't every other (laughs) why isn't every other coin trying to scam off the brand like what's what's different about this one i don't know maybe that's the element to it too i don't know all right cool well i think that'll do it for the the show then that's uh bitcoincashpodcast.com you can check it out for all your links and information resources whatever start guide check out the project on odyssey rumble or BitChute. i'm trying to shill these alternative ones because uh i follow this guy sticks Hexenhammer on odyssey he has a lot of great banter and he's basically proactively pushing for people to spread out from youtube so that 
we don't all get screwed when the sensors come there <laughs> as well too which is i guess inevitable at uh, some point or another thank you to the donators as always very much appreciated and uh, that peer-to-peer economy you love to see it uh, thanks to ricky my patreon and do you have any shout outs for the show duncan anywhere you want to give a special mention to where can people find uh, you? um i'm pretty i guess i should say thank you to the devs you know like they have been a lot of them since the early days and they you know that past is is there so um thank you for doing all the work that you do do um and you know i recognize it and i i think in time lots of other people will recognize it so just a thank you really yeah absolutely and obviously the link i'll put it in the description but the link to your article and stuff is on the it's on the slides too definitely want to echo that love the devs bch has the best devs by far i've said it before and i'll i'll keep saying it like it's just we've got the uh, upgrade coming up as well too the smart bch is getting upgraded in four or five days some good stuff in the works there and then it's one month till the may upgrade with uh, bigger integers and native introspection so i'm sure we'll cover that more uh, at the time but bch just quietly it's got this little quiet engine of it's just absolutely crushing it any shout outs you want to give jet no not this week <laughs> all right we're good this week well then thank you for listening everyone and until next time For you, banks. I wasn't born last night. I know the money ain't bright, but I was coding up the future last night. You were busy hating with your stupid friends online. That the Federal Reserve still pay checks straight out of your purse. Today they got a dollar, tomorrow got nine. Your savings are in dollars and your value in decline. Google it. North Federal Reserve. To go and burr, but it seems that you ain't heard. Nervous, cash in the bank now. Where you think it goes? Stupid little fuck, you trust the government shows. While the rich banks rob ya, probably just blind. Future dollars can buy nothing for ya. You've heard of inflation, right?